Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast. First Take, Her Take, hosted by L. Duncan, Kimberly Martin, and Charlie Arnold, gives you a peek into their lives as they navigate their careers and relationships while giving their unfiltered opinions on the sports world's hottest topics. Listen to First Take, Her Take, wherever you find your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Right fast, a reminder, the Right Time Book Club starts June 13th. King of the World by David Remnick is the book. Moving on, it is Foxworth Friday. Dominique Foxworth, what's going on? Man, congratulations on the Tim Anderson interview. That was pretty cool. Man, just called you or just hit you up. I was like, I want to talk to Bomani about this. Dog, I appreciate it. Yeah, he sent me a DM and was like, yo, I want to talk. You know, I want to get on. Now, I ain't going to lie to y'all. He was hoping to not have to do media availability. So we were sitting on it because we we wanted it to be the big surprise. We wanted to drop the big joker when you thought all the spades had been played, right? Well, you know, they nagged that man in the clubhouse, went a little bit too long. You know what I'm saying? He gave him a little bit. But now I tell people this, how I had to figure out how to get in in this business was a little different because I didn't come up like reporting. I wasn't on the ground. And so I am in a lot of ways, the dude just sitting at his house popping off at people. Like I get every criticism that comes with that. So as a result, I got to comport myself in such a way that the dudes I cover respect me if I want them to talk to me, right? Like I have to go the extra mile in terms of like earning respect if I'm going to have these cats listen to me because again, they don't know me. They don't have the time to get familiar. So for me, it, it, it feels good when something like that happens because it means my goal, at least with that one person has been achieved. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it matters the way you came up or not. Like that feels good for anybody. <laughs> like you're in this business and somebody is like, it's not even I want to talk about whatever. It's important, <laughs> you know, like this is important. And for somebody to trust you for that, a young person at that, I don't know. It goes a long way. It don't matter whether you came up in, in the locker rooms or or you fell out of a tree. That's a big deal to think. When I heard that you had the interview, I was interested in how you got it. Because like you, I'm trying to get better at this. He was like, man, hit me up. And I was like, <laughs> I'll see you, player. I'll see you. I was like, you was like, how you booking? I'm like, man, book themselves, dog. I'm sitting over here like, oh, yeah, you can come on. Right. The one good thing about it, though, when a guest book himself, it's much better when they tell you in advance. Because when you do radio, sometimes the guest books himself by calling. Uh, right? That's, not, that's it's a like, No, let me tell you about this story on that. And by the way, uh, as we go further the show, we're going to talk a little bit about the speed dating NFL situation. Kyle Kaepernick workout. We got some stuff, right? So I'm in Raleigh, and this is when I'm just getting started. I'm not even a full-time employee, but I'm a fill-in host for the summer. And... It was the summer of Josh Hamilton, right? It was, I think it was 2008, like Josh Hamilton is getting this, you know, really getting this thing back going. And I raised a fair, but certainly provocative question, which was, what makes one crackhead different from another? And I was just simply raising the question as to how we decided that this drug addict was the one that we loved, right? That right. we did not 
chastise. And this is someone who has squandered a great deal of talent. If you're a person that subscribes to that line of thinking, right? Like somebody right. squandered a great deal of talent, all of that stuff. Okay. And he came back and he got it going. And that was really cool. And I was just kind of like, why is it that this is the one that we do not judge? And I admit, I use the term crackhead on purpose because I wanted to put people into the place that they normally are when they're doing this. Right. Here's what I forgot. Do you know where Josh Hamilton is from, Dominique? I do now. <laughs> yes. I do now. You do now. That, that, that is the best way to put it. That fall rag, and it was Tony Hamilton, Josh Hamilton's daddy. God damn. So how did that go? Better than I expected. Okay. okay. <laughs> he, okay. he was like, he seemed to understand my point. Right. And that it was certainly no judgment of his son, but just to look at things. And he was just kind of like, I don't really know why they do it with other people. But, you know, that's my son. He's worked hard to, you know, get his situation right. However, boy, my stomach was like, yeah. man, all right, go ahead and put a ball because I wasn't going to punk out. Right. Yeah, like I wasn't right. going to be like, don't put him on the phone. Uh -uh. But, man. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend like I didn't consider it. <laughs> make, make him wait all hold behind everybody else. The phone only take five calls. Make him wait for 20 calls. See if he just hang up. Nah, 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 man. I just couldn't. I couldn't face my daddy if I did that. You know what I mean? I mean, the answer to your question, I know you don't need the answer to the question now, but like it reminded me of this book I read um, called Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. And it was like back in 2013, 2014, I read this book and it was... I think it's common knowledge now that's something we'd expect that we kind of understand, but it just kind of made the point that we're impulsive and then the other part of our brain then finds rationale for it afterwards. Mm -hmm. So like people probably <laughs> feel differently about certain people because they can relate to them or whatever. And then afterwards they make up some whole other reason, some whole other story around why. And then they convince themselves that that's really the reason when in actuality the elephant made the decision for them. And the mm -hmm. writer is just up there explaining it. Which, yeah. Anyway, anybody want a good book that tell you about how foolish we are as people? Check that one out. I do think on Hamilton that people made a very good counterpoint on Daryl Strawberry and that with Daryl Strawberry right. initially emerged from some of his problems that there was a great deal of sympathy. But I will tell you this. When he relapsed and it went bad, I remember Tommy Lasorda being out there. It ain't a sickness, it's a weakness. You know, like all of, you know, all that rhetoric and everything else. Like he ain't get a second time, but I did think that people were, you know, it it actually was a legitimate dialogue that mm. then resulted. I, I miss those days when I could have like legitimate dialogue with people in public about controversial things. It feels like oh. forever ago. The other thing when I was listening to the interview that popped out to me is just imagining what it must be like to like when I was listening to Tim, he sounded like football players that I played with and not like a baseball player. And that to me brought something to my mind that I hadn't considered is I've never been in like a majority white workplace or even like school in my entire life. And to be like in the way that it sounded like he grew up is like he did not grow up in baseball. Right. He didn't grow up in that baseball culture. So it didn't sound like he's like culturally baseball. It sounded like he was culturally basketball. And that's a very different culture. And I had never considered what it must be like. And it's something that I'm sure most successful black people deal with all the time is you end up being a black person dropped into a majority white space and figuring out how to navigate that is probably pretty tough. But me, I played, I went to all black everything for school. 
my high school was like a little bit more integrated because it was like a magnet school. My mom wouldn't let us go to our home school because that just wasn't good. Which one was the home school? Uh, Randallstown. It was in Baltimore yeah, yeah, County. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. up on that one. I'm up. <laughs> the I, day, I, I, know, I know a Randallstown grad. I understand. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it ain't. I mean, anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. But anyway, we um, then I went from there to college, which like I was in the football. I was friends with the football. I went to a, a predominantly white institution, but like my crew was a football crew and it was very black. And then I played the NFL. Then I go from there to the NFL PA, which is black and the NBA PA, which uh, Michelle Roberts was running at the time. It was pretty much all black. And I had never had that experience where like where I spent most of my time, I was the minority. And that's got to be tough. Yo, it's interesting that you mentioned that because like, you know, I grew up going to school in a small town, but the thing about going to school in particularly in the South, in these towns is there's a measure of integration that takes place almost by force. Like Nicole Hannah-Jones talks about this because little places don't have magnet schools. Little mm -hmm. places don't have private schools. They got the school, right? But I'm in the smart people classes right? and it's by and large just me. Right. Like it was the gift, like there was honors and the gifted and talented. The gifted and talented was just me. Honors, we sprinkled in like three more, but luckily two of them were literally the two best looking girls in our class. That was one thing I had to say, man. Our whole honors, gifted and talented crew at, at my school, it had cool kids, it had pretty girls, it just ain't had a whole lot of black people. You know what I'm saying? And just to be clear, it was the two best looking girls in the school, which meant they wouldn't holler at my gifted and talented ass. <laughs> At least not until like after graduation. That seemed like a much better idea. But the old heads had jumped on that before mm. we even had a chance. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, like that was just what it's going to be. Yeah. But I go to college and it's all black. I mean, Clark, if you are, live near a black college that's a state school, then you know some white folks that go there. The black schools that are private, white folks ain't paying that kind of money to hang out with us, dog. <laughs> it's not that's not that completely defeats the purpose of spending money you know what i'm saying that's not what they do and so there was like maybe one white girl at clark that i recall maybe one but then man i went to claremont for graduate school after that and you gotta understand i thought i was going to la <laughs> i was just going to la county but you gotta understand oh, saying that you're going to la county in most places is more in line with what i was thinking than what i wound up with man i got to claremont like the year before the cops had smoked a brother um yeah 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 nah dog it wasn't yeah. like this makes you understand how claremont gets down to keep property values up drive-through windows are not allowed at restaurants in claremont goodness gracious yeah yeah so you imagine That's... four years in southwest atlanta and then you get off on get off the plane and you get there and I'm looking around and it's just nothing. It's well, not a culture nothing shock. White people. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was a huge yeah. culture shock. But it was right. it was a culture shock in a way that I found to be unexpected because again, it's not like I had been unfamiliar with being around white people. Just but not I those do, kind. Yeah, I do remember I got around those white folks and I saw a sign that said Office of Black Student Affairs and I just walked in and they're like, yo, man, can I help you? I'm like, look, man, it just feel like this is where I need to be. <laughs> Like I, that was what I said. Like I just was like, like I, I, and I need to ask. I need to ask those cats. Just give me all your stories about people walking in like me. I was they tired, they're poor, a one man huddled mass, right? I didn't, yeah. I didn't do it. But like being around a majority white thing for me was not really that difficult because 
even though I'm in Waller, Texas, and whatever presumptions you may have about the place, many of them may be correct. I never felt mistreated. You right. know, like every now you got to fight somebody every now and then about something. But over, I mean, when I say fight, I mean fight. But, you know, overall, like I go to reunion. I'm happy to see people, you know, right. all those things. People are happy about me. All that stuff. You were I mean, I think that's like, so like that was you were exceptional. And I think that's probably part of it. And like that was my grad school experience for the first time. And I mean, even at ESPN, when I came to ESPN, I worked at the undefeated now Anscape. Like there wasn't a white person in the building. And so like, but at the white place, it was like, you're the football guy at yeah. business school. But see, hold on. Here's the thing, though. I was exceptional in two ways, I would argue. Like one was, you know, what they thought about the, the brain. Right. Right. But the other part was we had more money than them. Uh, yeah. And they knew it, but they didn't know it because like I had fly clothes or anything like the floss. It was an exposure situation, and they knew what my parents did for a living. I was like the kind of black person they didn't even know existed, even though there was a college right down the street. You know what I'm saying? Like they didn't, they didn't grasp that this person was actually real. So, you know, so like all that was cool. But man, I got to Claremont. I figured that one out too. You know, I was right. like, okay, I can navigate this. And then I realized, because I don't think, yeah, well, I work at the radio station, it's all white people, but I host the show. There were a couple of moments that I were like, oh, this is what it is, right? So like one time, I'll never forget this. One of the salespeople had asked me to do something. And I just had forgotten to do it. Like I was wrong, just to be clear. Like she asked me to do it. I didn't do it. She reminded me to do it. I still didn't do it. I am in the wrong. However, I look up from my desk at one point and she walks in. I'm like, oh, hey. And then behind her is the boss boss. And she walks in, she stops, and she just turns and looks at him. And he then says, it's my understanding that Judy, which is not her name, that Judy has been asking you to send this, and I just, you know, get this thing done, and I just want to make sure it gets done. And so I'm torn, because on one level, it shouldn't have come this far, because I should have done it. On the other hand, <laughs> it shouldn't have come this far, because you shouldn't have took it this far. You feel me? Right. <laughs> and so in those times, all you can do is own your own. Right. So yeah. I'm just like, OK, you're right. I should have done it. It's cool. Like, I'm wrong. At the other on the other hand, I was like, oh, this what y'all be saying about being at work with all these white folks. Gotcha. The phrase microaggressions is like one of those things that becomes like a joke. But I think that's what it is when those little things pop up. Just go unnoticed and people don't think it's a thing, but you just get accustomed to it. But yeah. in Tim Anderson's case, like, I don't know, like, they paying good, so it's a job that you got to do. But baseball, not, so not even like football in that I don't spend that much time around my teammates in the NFL like they do at baseball. Yes. Like, you you live with those guys <laughs> in the clubhouse and on the road. I don't know how much he making, but it ain't enough. And as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, based on what I heard and what I know about him and what I know about baseball. Well, also, baseball has a different indoctrination. Like, there right. is a culture that they wish to maintain. Right. And so I would make the argument with football in particular, like it has norms, right? There's some mores around mm -hmm. football that are going to be constant, but the culture of football has evolved as the players have evolved, perhaps not in like a one-to-one -one linear relationship, but there are changes to the culture that are a reflection to the changes of who played football over the course of time. Baseball is like, look, Chico, I don't care 
how good you are or how many of y'all it is. And I can't understand a damn one of y'all. Y'all going to get in line with what it is that we do over here. Comprende? That's how baseball is talking to everybody. They talk, they talk to the black dudes the same way. Because now <laughs> at this point, you see a black dude, you just assume he speaks Spanish. They want to win so they get the best players. And that same thing happened in other sports. But then those players control the culture to some degree. And in baseball, they're like, oh, nope, y'all can't have that. <laughs> y'all go play it our way. Because white people still the majority. Yeah, I guess. I talked about this with Tim, but I think that this just isn't discussed enough. The biggest holdup to improving black participation in baseball, or at the very least at high levels is, so think about this in the context of the South, right? I don't know if I was on with you when I talked about this, but how the SEC never has an A.J. Hawk. Yeah. Right. The SEC right. never, for whatever reason, other than quarterbacks and maybe like the occasional tight end, the SEC does not produce white defensive players or white skill position players like at an NFL level for whatever reason. Now, you're going to really tell me that in the South where football is so important that there ain't a single white person that's capable of playing at an SEC level. Like, you know, so like the Bosa boys, they were in SEC territory being in Florida, but obviously they wound up at Ohio State. The SEC just never winds up with those guys. And my thinking is just basically, they decided if we ain't got baseball, what y'all giving us? Right, right? Like, like y'all got y'all got most of the football. The, the football position that we got, you either got to weigh 800 pounds or it's the position that only one dude plays. Okay, we can't have that. Basketball, LOL. Um, as I said on Game Theory about basketball, basketball is like the name Tyrone. After a certain point, white folks just let us have it for ourselves. You know, they're like, cool, it's yours. Like, like white folks treated basketball like when you loan your friend a shirt. Like, like my homeboy George, I know George listening to this. George loaned my homeboy Brian a Rocket Ismail jersey in the year 2000. And by the time he got that thing back, that eight and that one were different colors of each other. Definitely not the color that he got, right? That's how white folks looked at basketball. Like, we, they gave it to us. They don't even want it back no more. You know what I'm saying? Y'all can keep it. But baseball, they're like, hey, young fella, you, you've got spring practice. You can't be over here playing baseball. I guess it's about the seasons, too. Like, I don't know what season baseball is in when you're in high school because you would have to walk away from another sport to play baseball, right? Like, it's yeah, different it's in different places. Yeah, second semester. Like, it, yeah. it, I think, like, I think in Texas you started in February. I don't know what they do up north. You'd have to not play basketball. You come after basketball season's over. Okay. I think you're right. It's really absurd when you think about it because it gets people close to presenting some real problematic-ass theories when you talk about, like, the amount of people in this country like there is really no good reason for us to dominate any particular industry in any way when you talk about sheer numbers. How we do is probably yeah, a lot based on culture and some other more complicated things that people are probably not nuanced enough to discuss. But anyway, I don't want to do it. I'll tell yeah. you that right now, brother. Yeah, I certainly don't want to do it either. That's why I, <laughs> I tried to step around it. Yes. But make sure people understand that I know it's out there. Yes. But the point is. I think it's like more cultural doing anything. It's the same thing about white corners. The, the conversation that you and I have all the time is when everybody sees a white athlete, they don't think he's a corner. They can play corner. They think he's a slot receiver. And when you see a black athlete, you don't think that he is a baseball player. That's what it comes down to. You better get out there and play basketball. You better go play football. And I think it's a cultural thing. And it's become a cultural, like a, a white sport culturally 
baseball and the fact that they uphold some of these things that like buck up against the fun that you see in these other sports makes it even harder to attract black athletes. But I think the other thing though with baseball in that regard, and I guess I'm assuming I was more of a baseball fan growing up than you were. Yeah. Dude, it wasn't just that it was black dudes playing baseball. They was cool as hell. I like them. Like, there is a name that, like, my baseball fan people are going to know. You young folks may not know, even if you are a baseball fan. But when's the last time you thought about Eric Davis? Like, Eric Davis was incredible in every way. And by the way, Eric Davis has a story you could basically make a movie about the dude beat colon cancer. Let's not forget that part. Yes. That's one of them you can't beat. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. He, 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 Rulon Gardner. You know what I'm saying? Like, he went out there and took Carolyn down. But Eric Davis had a season where he had 20 homers and 80 steals, and he had that cool-ass way he held the bat where he just let it dangle right there, and he was long, and he was lanky, and he was so fast, and he played defense and covered all that ground and everything else. And I'm not saying that the league was full of Eric Davises, but there was enough black dudes playing baseball that I'm telling a lot of you about Eric Davis and you ain't thought about him in 30 years or you didn't even know who Eric Davis was. You know, you had the Ricky Henderson types, you know, like even if you talk about like an Ozzie Smith, whatever, but it wasn't just that more black people played baseball, is that black people were at the height of the sport. We ain't getting into Barry Bonds and all of this. Like you didn't have to explain nobody why you was playing baseball. When I played Little League, there was no shortage of black kids that were playing baseball. And somewhere, like while I was around, it just stopped. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know what the moment was. But I remember in 2005, the Astros made it to the World Series. And they had 25 guys on the team. And it was 24 brown-haired white men and some dude named Willie Tavares. I didn't know who Eric Davis was. But I mean, I liked baseball when I was young. And like Ricky and Griffey and those guys were cool and I liked them and I remember watching baseball the reason why I didn't get into baseball wasn't for any reason about like culture or anything else it was because I played as many sports as possible because I really like playing sports and then we got to baseball season and my mom said nah they be scratching on themselves and spitting too much and I need a break I could be out there uh stealing bases or something but uh, nah, I get you... to play because she needed a break well do this because you got a computer in front of you right mm-hmm. put the tab on silent and just look up Eric Davis on YouTube. And I want you, the people, to get a real-time reaction to you watching the Eric Davis. And just so you know, Eric Davis had to leave a World Series game once because he lacerated his kidney jumping into the wall. Oh, my gosh. So he was a go-hard. He grew up with Daryl Strawberry. Like, they both, you know, off Crenshaw in L.A., they grew up, you know, together playing baseball. Like, that was the thing, man. Like, Tampa, Tampa, black baseball city. L.A. was a black baseball city. And I don't know how those things hold up now at this point. But it just flipped. So, like, for somebody like me having Tim Anderson come around, oh, that Eric Davis ain't no joke, (laughs) is it? (laughs) I'm looking at speed right now. Yes. He he just made a a single into a triple. (laughs) Oh, Barry Larkin out there, too. Look at all these black baseballers. Dude, that's what I'm saying. At one time, the Reds not a black soul in the crowd. (laughs) Yeah, like the Reds, as I'm thinking about it, they had Barry Larkin, they had Dave Parker. There's another black dude that was on those particular teams. Ken Griffey Sr. was not on the Reds then. He was on the Braves. He went from the Yankees to the Braves. But like the Big Red Machine, Joe Morgan, George Foster, Ken Griffey. 
it's no shortage. Like, you know, Pittsburgh Pirates, when they won in 1979, Dave Parker, Willie Stargell, Bill Madlock, like, you know, all those guys. I am loving watching your face as you watch the <laughs> majesty of Eric Davis. <laughs> he running around the base staff. He just hit a home run, and he don't look like a baseball player. He looked like <laughs> they put a real athlete in a baseball uniform. <laughs> yeah, he from L.A. He from L.A. Like, but, like, that's the thing, man. Like, baseball, with those cats I grew up watching, it was so much more fun, and I do think, that the players now overall are stronger, but not necessarily better athletes. No, like one thing I think that sure. baseball lost for me, at least in terms of entertainment value, is baseball is a little better with some guys that can only hit like 230. Like all glove, no stick guys. Like Ozzie yeah. Smith, who was like 5'9", 150 pounds or something like that. One of the greatest athletes that we have ever seen. Like an Ozzie Smith YouTube highlight reel is just incredible athleticism at play. And it's really fun watching little bitty shortstops turn double plays mm -hmm. and all of those things. It's probably more value if your shortstop can hit home runs. I don't care. That's not fun to watch. Yeah, it's not. I was joking about an athlete because it just reminded me. Because, like, my whole life, I think, like, football and basketball players are the best athletes that you'll ever be around. But I became, like, family friends with Adam Jones yeah. from the Orioles and his friends. Tried to play basketball with that man one time. <laughs> and I'll have you know that he might be a better corner than me if he wanted to, if he wanted to give it a shot. Like there are some athletes. Cause I think he probably like six, three yoked up and was, I mean, close to as quick as me. And I don't know about straight line speed, but it didn't matter on the court. I was like, yeah, we are in a different class. My friend, <laughs> I'm glad. Cause it, I mean, I was joking. I know they got some athletes over there, but they got, they got some Bartolo Colognes too. That's fair. That's true. That is, that is, that is. So the thing about the Bartolo Colognes, like football, like football's Bartolo Colon was Vince Wilfork. Except here's the thing about Vince Wilfork. No. He's an incredible athlete with a giant belly. That's all it is. You know that's what I'm saying? Exactly like, right. that's what I meant. That's there what I meant no, by him yeah. being Bartolo Colon. Yeah, there are some Bartolo Colognes, in, if you mean some people have bellies. Yes. But there are no non athletes in the NFL, unless you took them about kickers and punters, which those dudes. <laughs> they're pretty oppressive too they didn't just punt in heights yeah, like the punter yeah. in particular is the one right. that that got something for you i remember so like and it's not just you said vince wilfork and i i'll point out haloti nada sometime because he's possibly the best pound for pound athlete i've ever been around like That's as far as his, yeah like if you look at a guy my size the athletic things that i can do are more athletic than what haloti can do however haloti's his size and is like 85% of like me. <laughs> and that is mind blowing. But that aside, I remember, I can't even remember the dude's name. We drafted it when I was in Denver, we drafted a defensive tackle from Florida. And I mean, he wasn't like a great player, but I just remember this dude would just do backflips, just do backflips. I can't do a backflip just out there, 300 pounds flipping around. It's like, there are no bad athletes and the worst athletes in football are outstanding athletes. That's the difference, I guess, for like um, football and basketball. Cause there mm -hmm. are no bad athletes on the basketball court. Yeah. But see, I don't think baseball got no bad athletes left. You don't think so? Yeah. I guess I don't watch enough to know. The Steve Balboni is not playing baseball anymore. John Cruck. I don't know what that man would, would be expected to do with his life. Like they have, they have gotten those dudes out and I got to say it didn't make baseball better by doing that no. it's fun to have just a few of those characters thrown <laughs> around there oh I, and you it was who i thought you were talking about you talk about marcus thomas a great ghost of five star pass oh yes 
Yes, let me look him up. But yeah, I just remember he would start practice because like we had rookies do weird rookie stuff to like entertain us during trading camp. And he had to like lead the uh, warm-ups, I guess, one day. And so man just hit a backflip. And that was it. We left him alone from that point forward. <laughs> he got all the tricks. <laughs> oh, and he wasn't a five star, but I do remember. I remember the hot, the hotly recruited guys. They were like, oh yeah, when they go in the fourth round, I'd be like, oh yeah, somebody fell for it. Went out there and had a great workout. Somebody fell for it. <laughs> Showing my age because I'm looking at this picture now, and I'm like, that don't quite look like him. I'm having to. I'll get back to you. I'll look it up. I'm looking at a defensive tackle from Florida drafted in 2007. I had already done the math on the fact okay. that after, if he came after that, he couldn't have played with you. Yeah, you're right. Maybe that's it. Either yeah. way, it was <laughs> maybe he was a free agent. But either yeah. way, the point that the point stands. The guy was 300 pounds doing backflips to start off practice. So there are no bad athletes out there. Hey, man, uh, speaking of football, news came down that the Raiders are giving Kaepernick a workout. And am I wrong for being like, cool, highlight me if they sign him? Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Like, that's just how I feel about it. I mean, and honestly, at this point, if you don't sign him, I can't be mad at you, right? It's been a long time. I mean, granted, it's using the excuse after all this other stuff has happened but the thing with the Raiders that's interesting I mean Mark Davis once had John Carlos light the Al Davis torch yeah no that that I mean we've talked about this a few times that organization like the first black head coach the first Latino head coach first woman executive first like everything that was a an innovative place Al Davis was not for the old school way of doing things. And I mean, if there's an organization that would be interested in, interested in doing something like that, it would be the Raiders. But I would have thought it'd be the Oakland Raiders, not the Vegas Raiders. If you're trying, if you're trying to get <laughs> to, 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 uh, to bring in some new fans in Nevada, I don't think cap <laughs> is the way to do it. Maybe the people in Vegas might be feeling it, but the rest of Nevada, they ain't having it. Yeah, man. ain't no ain't no Nelson Mandela Parkway in Las Vegas <laughs> like there is in Oakland. <laughs> yeah, I was like, are we sure this is the Las Vegas Raiders and not the Oakland Raiders was the first thing with my mind. But I'm with you generally. ESPN buzzed my phone on that. And I was like, mm, I don't know. There's nothing to say unless he gets a job. And if he does, he's going to raise all the what took so long questions, da-da-da, like all of that stuff, right? Like that's all going to wind up coming up but i couldn't really find like i was trying to think of a compelling angle to talk about with it and i really don't have one but i do have a compelling angle about this nfl diversity speed dating event they just had did you see that so for those of you who don't know this the nfl put together an event a handful of black assistants and executives from around the league got together to meet and greet with the people who run nfl teams so that they could get some FaceTime. And how do they meet these white folks? That's all I'm saying. Like, wherever they got to go to meet these white assistant coaches. Like, it's one thing if we're talking about, like, network effects and it's these rich people and they're meeting other rich white people, but that's not what we're talking about here, right? Even if we're talking about nepotism angle with coaching, the owners don't know the coaches like that, right? The owners aren't hanging around with them in that place. And so I'm like... Do white boys have to come up and do a speed dating event in order to get somebody to know their name? Because if they don't, this isn't going to work because this isn't fixing what the problem is. This was a solution that would have been acceptable 10 years ago. Yes. Maybe. You know, like when I potentially could have believed that it was about the pipeline, 
or is about knowing people. But y'all ruined that. Y'all ruined that with Cliff Kingsbury. Y'all ruined that with Joe Judge. Y'all ruined that with all these recent hires. Like, y'all made it quite clear. Brandon Staley. Like, no disrespect. I don't mean to denigrate any of these coaches and say they don't deserve it. But y'all made it quite clear that there is no pipeline. There is no process. There is no, like, line that you have to go through in order to get there. If you're the guy, you're the guy, they're going to come get you. So, like, they don't, they know black coaches. They know how to find black coaches. And they don't have to, like, meet them in some special speed dating. That ain't the problem. Problem is, when you see a black coach, you don't see a head coach. And whatever racist implications there are there, that's the problem. And if you can't go in there, like, the solution to that problem is you can talk about incentives, but I still don't think that solves the problem. Because if you are arrogant enough to think that, you have the ability to select the perfect coach for your situation. If you're that arrogant, there is no level of compensation that will be worth hiring a guy that you know is not the guy, right? Because if your heart or your head or whatever racist organ in your body looks up and sees a black man and doesn't see a head coach, then you can give me 13 first round picks. That ain't gonna be worth it if my coach sticks. It's like taking a job you don't want for the money. Right. You're still going to be miserable at the job. You know what I mean? And that's what you're asking them to do is just, oh, so you don't really want this. What if we give you this? That don't change the fact that I don't want this. This is what I want to know. How many times this happened in there where a guy sat down with some, you know, one of the owners and the guy's like, how you doing? I'm John. And the guy responds, I know. I played for your team for six years. You know that happened. You know some people was really awesome. Oh, wow, man, it's great to meet you. Dog, I used to work in the offices here. You don't remember that? Oh, you got to fire your assistant if you are the owner of the team. Like, I, I need that in my packet. <laughs> I need Dog, that in my packet before you, I sit as, down. As if that man looking at that packet. They're like, <laughs> yo, they say I got to go down here and talk to uh, these black people. Right. You yeah. know, like I, like I saw one name on the list to do the meet and greet was Ray Farmer. And Ray Farmer used to be the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. Why he gotta go? <laughs> yeah, Y'all don't it, know him? Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. And like, so the problem with this big machine is the thing we can't change. And until we face that, like all this stuff around the edges, you are not gonna, there's not a big enough incentive to make somebody not be racist. <laughs> or to, to not see certain candidates as inferior. Sometimes some of these places will hire the black guy for the bad job and they're like, we in a rebuild mode. We'll take one for the team. And then there are some places where they'll actually legitimately hire a black coach. But that's the problem is there is no way you can change this system if the engine of it is busted. You can't change all the gears and joints and sprockets and spark plugs you want. The engine is racist. <laughs> and the thing is they don't think they racist yeah. they think they telling it like it is right like that like there's nobody that really just comes out here and is like so why do you think that black people are stupid duh because i'm racist and no why do you think black people are stupid because they are yeah. right like like their explanation <laughs> is look around you yeah or they're like i don't think black people are stupid and then you look at their uh hiring record yes you think they something <laughs> you think they something i firmly believe roger goodell cares i firmly believe roger goodell is trying roger goodell is not equipped 
to make this happen. And it's not his fault because I don't think anybody's equipped to make it happen because can't nobody tell them dudes nothing. They only respond to the fear of litigation. That's the only thing that has ever made them make a legitimate positive move and strive. But what gets me about this, and I think it's the saddest part, we've lost ground in the last 20 years. That's the wildest thing about all of this is, and by the way, in those 20 years, black dudes did pretty well coaching teams. Couple Super Bowl wins, some Super Bowl appearances. You know, and if you want to broaden it out, shout out to Ron Rivera. You know what I'm saying? Like he got in there. They still don't care. They still don't care. Like it is for me, as somebody that's never really had to interview for jobs because of the nature of the work I do, it's just wild to think that this is the process that people have to endure. Because basically, you, you want me to be on your show or not? Or, you know, whatever it is. Like, yeah, it's, it's just a you. different game. Same thing with you playing ball, right? It's just a different game. This, where you just got to go through and it's like, ah, I don't know, it's just my gut. Oh boy, I got to be frustrating. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I got to be honest with you. It's like, I think it's the same thing. Is I imagine all the jobs that you got, you probably had some sort of like interview, meet and greet, but they already knew they wanted you. It's the same thing for these coaches. They go in to do these interviews, meet and greets, and they already know if they want them or they don't want them. No, every job I've gotten has been, would you like this job? Yeah. Right, because there's no interview to do. They're like, yo, we heard your show. We dig it. We heard yeah. you on this thing. We dig like it. Like a draft. <laughs> yeah, game theory kind of, sort of had a process. But that one would be correct, where there was somebody involved in the process who was like, I think that's the guy that I want. Right. And then we go from there. Otherwise, how else do you get a job where you walk in and say, what you've given me, don't think that's going to work. But if you do what I think, it will. And they're like, yeah. well, we'll do what you think. The only, so I'm trying to think back like the, so I was a candidate for the executive director for the MVPA job. And I had to go in there and try to sell myself. They was like, nah, we don't like you. Or I, I think I was just really young. And he's like, nah, that ain't the business, but we're going to introduce you to Michelle because we think you're really smart and you should be around here or whatever. Other than that, I don't know. It's like graduate school interviews and stuff like that. But yeah, it's not a whole lot of interviewing experience on here for these two black folks. So maybe we wouldn't get hired either. That is Dominique Fosworth. Check him out on Get Up. Check yes. him out on Debatable. Check him out at Anscape. Check him out all over the place. My brother, it is always a privilege. Thank you so much for working with me. This was awesome. All good, man. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for watching us here on The Right Time. Thanks for watching on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Also, remember, Right Time Book Club, King of the World by David Remnick. The first episode of that'll be June 13th. Go ahead and get caught up. And remember, we do this three times a week. Gabe Bassane and Adi Khan handle things behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. We will be off for Memorial Day, but we will be back on Wednesday. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.